Isn't that cool? The, the Bible is such an incredible gift that the Lord has given us. Going back to where we started in Deuteronomy, that encouragement that it would be something, it's God's revelation that we would uh, study and read and pray, that we would allow it to, to fill our hearts and our souls and our minds, that, that we would in fact have it on our arms or, or our foreheads, whether literally or, or figuratively, that we would be a people of the book. And if you don't believe Pastor Jedediah or myself, believe Morgan Freeman. I mean, what a voice. Holy cow. Right? So, yeah, so we've been talking about, and I hope the last couple weeks, you've grown in your confidence in, in the Bible. The Bible is uh, probably the book that has been more scrutinized and, and picked apart and, and wrestled with. And, and there's been so much doubt that has been sown in our culture, oftentimes in us. And yet we tried to take a little bit deeper of a dive and really look at the reliability, really look at the trustworthiness of Scripture. That's what uh, the last couple weeks have been about, to really see what the testimony of Scripture about itself, about how God's Spirit filled individuals right, across generations for thousands of years by God's will, anointed individuals to write and communicate revelation. We'd like to do a little bit of a turn now. We've been focused on reliability and trustworthiness. We want to now enter into what does it look like to really study the scriptures? How can we begin to be a people of the book? In fact, when Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, he writes this. He writes, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed or who correctly handles the word of truth. Who correctly handles the word of truth. I'd like us to heed Paul's words to us. What does it look like that we would be a people who correctly handles the words of truth. You know, throughout the ages, unfortunately, church history is littered with people who have not correctly handled the word of truth. In fact, they've based some of their horrendous teachings and actions on horrendous ways of handling the word of truth. So how do we prevent ourselves from doing that? How do we grow and learn in that way? I was, uh, I was thinking of a, a story. It was a fraternity brother in college, and uh, we'll call him Tony. And Tony, was he was one of those high-energy, jump-in-with-both-feet kind of guys. He handled our fraternity in that way, jumped in with both. But sometimes that served him really well, and sometimes not so good. And uh, he was uh, in a difficult place. He had made some mistakes, and yet God used that to bring him to himself. 
right, Tony, in college, right? And right in the midst of that, um, I, I had the privilege of being part of helping Tony find the Lord. And so Tony gave his life to Christ. He was excited. He had some uh, Christians around him, and he was reading the word enthusiastically. He was praying enthusiastically. He was attending a, a, a church uh, near there, our campus, so it was going well. Well, a couple weeks into after when he had given his life to Christ, he told me about this. I saw him, and he looked really downtrodden. And I'm like, Tony, what, what's going on? You look down. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm like, wait, what? What, what happened? He said, well, I, I was reading scripture, and, and I read where... Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you must hate your mother and father. And I just love my parents too much. Right? It was out of Luke 14. He was reading that. And I said, Tony, you love your parents? All right, burn in hell, you sinner. It's right there in Scripture, Right? Jesus says that, doesn't he? Yeah? No, actually, what I said, I said, wait just a second, Tony. <laughs> before, before you throw everything out, let's talk about how you read Scripture. Let, let's talk about some principles of interpretation. Let's talk about how when you read Jesus, sometimes he, he uses some different teaching styles like hyperbole, right? And, and so he's emphasizing, he exaggerates a point so that we really get it. I love your passion. I love that you're taking the words of Jesus very seriously. But when you come across something that gives you pause, that's hard to understand, like, for example, hate your father and mother, what about the, ten, uh, the commandment to honor your mother and father? How, how do you bring those two things together? Don't throw out your faith just yet. In fact, put a question mark by your Bible and ask one of your leaders, you can call me, but we can work on that. Okay, okay, okay. I want us to learn how to really handle and understand as we dig into Scripture that we would really understand what it looks like to handle the Scriptures as, yes, divinely inspired by God, and yet there's a human side of revelation. So we need to be a people that are growing in awareness of how we approach Scripture, the, the principles of interpretation that we use, the, the questions that we ask. And what I would like to do this morning is I would like us, I want to teach you a way of studying the scripture. Yes, we should have told you it's Nerd Sunday, all right? But we're actually going to learn and break this down, right? After all, it says if you, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him to fish, you'll never get him back to work, right? He'll just keep fishing. No, no, no. So I want us to learn an approach to Scripture that we can wade into 
and start to grow. And some of you have heard this before. I'm going to try and throw a little bit of some nuance and some flavor into this to see. So let's get started, all right? So in the, I want you to think about a couple of things. If you look at your bulletin, you'll see translations, historical context, author, and audience, all right? A lot of times we have uh, questions about translations. Why are there so many translations? Does anyone want to render a guess of how many English translations there are alone? There's more than two, all right? Over, over 450 English translations alone. We're not talking about all the other languages, but there's over 450 English translations. And the best thing to understand about English translations is why there's so many. It comes down to really, I would call, a philosophy of translation. So on the one side, you have translations that are going for a more word-for-word And on the other side, you have translations that are going for a more thought by thought. And so, of course, Old Testament Hebrew, mostly, some Aramaic, New Testament Greek, mostly some Aramaic, but they're taking the Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic words, and they're translating them into English, and sometimes it's hard to understand, it's, it's difficult to understand, or sometimes there are numerous English words that, that one Greek word can be translated in. Or sometimes there's no English word for that Hebrew word or, or losing a, a nuance. So a lot of times the translations will be on this continuum of word for word or thought for thought. We do have a chart up here. I, it's a little hard to see. Let's see if we can go to that first one. This is, there's a continuum you'll see, and I'll read for some of you. So the word for word, so a lot of times the New American Standard Bible is really word for word, but if you read New American Standard Bible, sometimes you can be like, boy, that's a, a difficult to understand, Amplified is very word for word, but then I like how they try and amplify. They put a parentheses and do that. ESV, English Standard Version, is also pretty word for word as well as uh, the King James Version. On the other side is thought for thought, and you could call those paraphrases. And so you have Eugene Peterson, who translated the message, and he was really not going word for word, but saying, here's the, the, the thought of the inspired authors, so he's communicating that. And then you kind of go back and forth. You have some uh, translations that are in the middle, that they try and be a, uh, a, a, what would you call it, a merger of the two often word for word, but building in some, um, some thought for thought. You can see that NIV is the one that we use here, is close to that, um, that dynamic together there. Now, if you're coming to how do I decide what translation that I would take, that I found this really brilliant, it's kind of like a test. So if we could go to the next chart, David, and someone brilliantly 
associated each translation with a Star Wars character. I just really wanted to get a groan out of the honeys. Do you like, I mean, isn't that brilliant? Now look, of course, New International Version, well, it's really the Han Solo of Bible translations. That's why I use it, right? I mean, enough there. All right, we're just having a little bit of fun, all right? But here's the deal, is you have translations, like you have at least a hundred plus translations on your phone, right? I would encourage you to choose one translation, right, that you're going to use for your personal times with the Lord. My personal recommendation, I like NIV. There's some issues that I have for it, but that's my primary one that I use. I will often go to ESV, uh, English Standard Version, uh, for a little bit more word for word. There's also resources online that you can go to the actual Greek language for the New Testament. You can see that, right? Um, I, uh, here's, uh, here is you can get resources like this. This is a uh, Greek translation. So you have the Greek there, and it gives you the exact word. And then there's a translation. I think it's RS Revised Standard Version, New Revised Standard Version, right there, right? There's all of those resources that you can use to get at the actual language. Just a note about message. I will go to the message sometimes. When I was in my Greek class, and we would study the Greek, we would look at the meaning, and then we would look at how the translators translated that and the decisions that they made. There wasn't a single time that I didn't look at the message and go, yep, Eugene Peterson, he got it right. Yeah, that was exactly the thought. In fact, sometimes when I'm struggling to understand because it's such a word for word, I'll go to the message and I'll go, oh. So there is a help. But the, the primary thing is, is I'm choosing one translation and I'm using it, right, as my connection with the Lord, but then other translations as helps and resources and online, all right? Secondly, I want to talk about uh, historical context. We pushed into this a little bit last week. We talked about the historical context of the Gospel of Mark, what was the, the purpose, what was the inspired author, why was he writing or she writing? Why were they putting it together, right? And then who was the initial audience? What were they thinking, and how would they feel that? So I would strongly recommend that you get a study Bible. This is the easiest way. People have died to get translations of the Bible to various people groups, right? And now we have hundreds of translations and we have these resources that are right for us. Let's use them. Let's let God speak his word through us and assisting us. And the easiest way to look at historical context, to look at uh, and understand a little bit the, the primary author and the primary audience is a study Bible. 
You can get, I would say, NIV has a study Bible, ESB, uh, ESV has a study Bible. Nick, you have, you, did you bring yours? Look at the sky. This is like, Jedediah was talking about going to war. You could use that as a weapon. It is so big, right? But there's articles there, and under most verses, especially the hard-to-understand verses, you can go and look at the study Bible. They've got charts. They've got lists. They've got resources. So we could go to Mark, and it would tell us a lot of the, of the date, of the situation, of the audience that's happening. It's great to just read. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to really begin to understand some of the historical context in the scriptures, to understand and bring a deeper understanding of those scriptures. Okay, would you open, if you've brought your Bibles, would you open to the Gospel of Mark? And we're going to do a little bit of what we call inductive study, all right? We had a diagram. By the way, we have little books that, oh, I wanted to mention this too. So there's commentaries that if you want to really go for a deep dive, you could get a, a commentary on Mark and do a deep dive on Mark. Study Bibles are a little bit shorter and a little bit easier to consume, but they're there. These books are a little journal that you can get, and they actually teach you um, some inductive Bible study, what we're going to learn right now. And they use an acronym, SOAP. Super easy. You can get the, this on the internet. We can, if a bunch of you want it, we can order a bunch as a church just to get in there and use, take some scripture and do this inductive Bible study. All right. Let's jump in right now. I'm going to pretend that I am studying personally the Gospel of Mark. And I've just, I've just read the study Bible a little bit of the historical situation. I've read that. In fact, I've read the first part of Luca, and I've, I've entered it into my little journal. Whoops. All right. And now it's day two, and I'm going to start at verse 9, all right? So I'm going to write on my paper, I'm going to write Mark 1, 8 through 9. You don't have to write that on your bulletin, it's already there. And I'm also going to write observation, right? And I'm just going to ask the question, what's there? I'm going to ask the who, the what, the where, the when, Repeated words, are there commands, are there invitations, do I have any questions? That's kind of my first reading. So let's read starting Mark 1, verse 9. Now I want to encourage you, if just observations as I read, if something jumps out at you, write down on your bulletin, okay? At the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. 
At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. All right, I'm going to ask you, what sticks out to you? What do you notice? I'm not looking for deep theological reasoning at this point. I'm just looking, I'm not looking for any conclusions. I'm just looking for observations. What's there? What jumped out to you? Anyone? The first thing that Jesus mentioned was the kingdom of God. I'd write that. That's super important. Well done, David, who's in Days of the Kingdom class. <laughs> Say that again, Cindy. Fish for people, yes. A really not desirable translation that, that, that lacks so much fishers of men, right? At least I could have gone fishers of people, right? But fish for people, yeah, I don't like it. But anyways, that's a translation issue, right? They had to make decisions in that. Okay, what else? What else you notice? Left their father to follow Jesus. What's that? Who said? Wilderness? Yes, Jesus went on the wilderness. Good, what else? Left their father to follow Jesus. Left fathers and followed Jesus right away, immediately. What else? The Father endorses Jesus. Heaven opens and a voice comes and the dove, bada bing. Wow. Yeah. What else? What was John's reaction? Hold on to that comment, Susie. What else? Jesus had to be baptized. That's interesting. The Spirit, the dove, rests upon. Say that again, Noel. Yes, Holy Spirit. Excellent. Anything else? God declared Jesus as his son. God declared Jesus as a son at the very beginning. Okay, great. That is awesome. Excellent. All right. Now you can write a few things down on your piece of paper. Again, it doesn't have to be huge and, and deeply theological. You're just kind of pressing in. Here's some questions that I wrote down from observation. How much of what Jesus did is for us to participate in? It's an interesting question. Why does Jesus start the ministry with the kingdom of God? And how about the kingdom? Jesus says to repent and believe. Why would he invite that kind of reaction to an announcement of the kingdom of God? 
Just some questions right down. All right, now we move to interpretation. Interpretation is a little bit more challenging. It says, what does the text mean to the people that heard it? Again, this goes back to our little bit of our historical context and the author and the initial audience. So you want to enter into, we know this is first century Palestine. You know that, that people don't really know who Jesus is, that this is right at the beginning, okay? Uh, Susie, what was your comment earlier? What was John's reaction when the heavens opened? What was John's reaction when the heavens opened? That's a good question. How about the people that were there? Not sure if they heard the voice. It seems like they did. They were like, what was, was Peter there? Was he like, James, did you hear that? What does that mean? I mean, what? And when it says the heavens opened, was it a cloudy day and the clouds went down? I mean, how did they know? What in the world was going on? And then when he said, I mean, who said they were with their dad? They're with their dad fishing, and when Jesus said, come follow me, I mean, how did that strike? That, was that something familiar? Was that something they were waiting for? Do you think their obedience was based on the baptism? Mm-hmm. See those interpretation questions? Any other interpretation? Again, that's a little bit more challenging. There's a promise in there. There's a promise in there. And the promise is? And I will make you fishers of men. Yep, right? That's an observation, good one. But they would have heard that, right? Is that there was a following, especially in that culture, there was a rabbinic culture of discipleship. So this was an invitation to learn and grow and be discipled by him. And that invitation, they would have heard there's a purpose in that. Yes. Ryan, really loud. Very good, Ryan, who has taken my days of the kingdom class. Yes! Yeah, we saw that, right? That's, in fact, that's right where we're at in the days of the kingdom class, right? We're understanding when they heard kingdom, right? They didn't go like many of us when we hear kingdom of God. We're like, huh, I wonder what that is. No, the people of that day associated it with a, a military conquering, a geographical kingdom, right? We're beginning to understand that they would have been saying and hearing that this was a moment of revolution, all right? And Jesus could be a prophet or the Messiah or even a general, right? All right, now I'm going to, here's a little bit of nuance, I think just for our congregation, I think we can do this in our KLCs in our personal life, that we can put kingdom and covenant. You see that there? So instead of it uh, just being O-I-A, we're putting in a K and a C. Oika. I, I know this is going to catch like wildfire. Say to your neighbor, Oika. 
Almost like orca, but oika, all right? You've got observation, interpretation, all right? We're asking the question, now why do I put kingdom and covenant in there? The kingdom of God is the overarching message of scripture. Beginning from the Old Testament where Jesus, where the Father establishes his kingdom in the garden. The kingdom has been diminished by our sin, and then someday Jesus will return and fully consummate, uh, fully fulfill the kingdom of God, all right? So there's a big picture that's happening in the Old and New Testament, and there's a big picture in our lives. Also, I put covenant in there because the covenant is about how God invites us into a personal relationship with him. So kingdom of God is big picture and covenant is personal relationship with him. And I think it would be hugely valuable of every text in scripture to ask, does this relate to the big picture of scripture? Does this relate to our personal relationship with God? So let's ask this. Does it relate at all to the big picture of uh, God, the kingdom? We already got in there. I mean, I chose the text for that purpose, but we already got there. But it's interesting, you could say, why does Jesus say the kingdom is near? Or the kingdom is at hand? Or the nearness of the kingdom? And what role is Jesus in the kingdom? What role does Jesus play in the kingdom? He seems to be initiating. Notice the word time. This is the time. It's, the, it's this moment right now. Jesus says this is a special time in the history of salvation and the history of the world that the kingdom of God is drawing near. What does that mean? What does it mean for our role in the kingdom? Have we found our role? Do we understand the kingdom enough that we can find our place in the kingdom? Does it say anything about covenant? Our personal relationship with him? Anyone? Repent and believe, that's right, absolutely, Lauren, that we can repent and believe in response to God's work. Yes, what else? Follow me, that we're invited, you know, unfortunately, it was only for those disciples of that day to come follow him. Oh, maybe that applies to us. The dove is the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? Promise to all of us. Only Jesus need to be baptized because he was the only one with sin. Everyone else doesn't need to be baptized, right? No, quite the opposite, right? So you've got baptism. You've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. You've got a, an invitation from Christ to come follow him in a, in a personal relationship. You've got a, a purpose uh, for us to find our role all in that passage right there. That Jesus, this passage, is modeling so much of the Christian faith for us. Applications. Now, when you do applications, you want to ask, how does this passage... Remember, interpretation asked, how did the people experience this? 
how does this passage relate to me? How does it strike my heart? And ideally, it flows from all that we've written, observation, interpretation, kingdom, and covenant, and we're writing application here. How does this, um, is there a command for me to follow? Is there an invitation that's here? Is there a way that this strikes my heart that brings a praise or an honor, glory to God? Is there something that invites obedience and action from me right away? Prayer, yes, a response. Absolutely a prayer. I, I mean, to respond with, Jesus, you mean you're inviting each of us to walk with you. Hallelujah. You grant each of us your spirit. Hallelujah. I praise you, Lord. What else? Application. Repent and believe. If you've not given your life to Christ yet, Right, this is an invitation. Would you repent and believe that, that the Lord is take, at work in this world and inviting you to follow him? That was my experience just reading John. And when I read his invitation to apostles, um, to disciples to follow him, I felt like he was speaking to me. And I said, I'm not really sure if I'm a Christian Jesus, but I want to say yes today and every day. What are other applications? Calvin. Baptize, sent out, attended to. Anyone that strikes you really personally. Yes, that was part of Jesus' experience. Praise God, it's never going to be a part of our experience, right? No. Again, God allows that, right? And right away, obedience. Did you notice Mark, right? We talked about it's very Peterish. Right away, they, fought, they dropped their nets and bam, they're with Jesus, right? Immediate action, taking work. And I'd also say this, if baptism is for everyone and you've not been baptized, that this should strike you to say, I need to be baptized. I need to make a public confession of my faith. Any other applications? Being baptized doesn't have to be a one-time thing. Well, we'll unpack that later, David. <laughs> All right. Any other applications? Nick? Acknowledgement from the Father, being a child who is loved. You know? Oh, that's gorgeous. Like this... Yes, this acknowledgement of the Father, of that Jesus is loved by him, and that he wants to do that for us, for us to recognize our belovedness in God. Ah, oh, that's gorgeous. Yes. Jerry. Yeah, we even, we've gone so fast, we, we pretty much missed the desert experience and, and the wilderness there, right? That's a huge time of what God allows us to go in the wilderness, and yet we can be attended to by angels, 
right? That he's going to care for us in that time of trial and temptation and that struggle that just as Jesus has faced those difficult times, God will uh, allow that, but he'll use that for good purposes in our lives. Maybe I'm in a temptation or, or trial right now and I get to say, Lord, would you, would you attend to me? Prayer, Bob. Would you attend to me in this difficult time? Help, just as you were with Christ. Jesus, would you... Attend to my heart and soul. Hold on, hold on. Others, yes. Great, great interpretation. She said, just imagining Jesus in the desert, he just lost his cousin or just put into prison, uh, his cousin, the, the struggle and the pain and the difficulty. Part of his temptation, maybe, was his love and concern for his cousin John. Good. Others. I know one is, I need to buy a study Bible right away after this service. And I need to take Pastor Eric's Days of the Kingdom class one time, right? At least once, all right? Now, all those applications. And then a time of prayer, a time that's with the Lord. And whatever's on your heart, do you notice that's how we try and end the service is in prayer, Right? We, we do that. If you're in your KLCs, you're, you're doing this inductive Bible study, this asking the questions, and then our prayers should flow out of our discussion when we're doing this corporately. Our prayers should flow out of our observations, interpretations, kingdom covenant, and applications that we would pray to the Lord in response to what we've just read. Kurt, Where do you go on Sunday morning? On That is a great question. Kingdom seekers meet just before the service and they do inductive Bible study. Yes, 9 o'clock in the conference room. Uh, speak to uh, uh, Kurt and Susie or uh, Scott Reese, who is the leader. Yes, a place to do that. All right, or that's what our, our KLCs are about many things, but one of them is being people of the book and reading and studying and praying for one another. We're, we're learning and we're growing. And again, friends, it, it's not rocket science. We have amazing resources before us, right? But the greatest resource we have is the Spirit of God to fill the words, right? and to apply them to our heart. And quite honestly, for all my study, sometimes he convicts my heart that almost has nothing to do with the text I've just read, if I'm being honest. And that's the Holy Spirit, right? Leading, guiding, directing. Can we pray in response? I just want to give you all the uh, 
opportunity to, to pray out loud for just a moment? Would you pray an application for yourself or for all of us? Would you just pray? Or a praise or adoration, just really loud so we can all hear you. Thank you, Lord, that you accompany us in times of trial and temptation. Thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is in this place. Pray that again, Jerry, in a loud voice. Lord, help us to be fishers of men and women, that we wouldn't just experience your goodness and grace in our lives, but we would be a part, our, our lives would be meaningfully connected to your work in this world. Lord, thank you for your affirmation of belovedness. And just as you declared your love for Jesus, so you declare your love for us. Yes. Yes, Lord. Lord, if there's anything that you're calling us to repent of, would you allow us to do that in our hearts with you right now? Lord, if there's anything that you're calling us to believe, to have faith in that we've struggled to believe. Would you help us to believe?